Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. A couple of days ago, I was chatting with a, um, a young man that uh, I know that um, lives in uh, one of the very affluent uh, beachside suburbs of uh, Sydney. And uh, we were talking um, oh, just uh, about general things, what he was uh, catching up with um, and, and so forth. He works as um, a real estate agent. And he was um, saying that a lot of his uh, friends who are in their early 20s, like he is, um, are depressed, really depressed about life. And unfortunately, a lot of them are turning to drugs to feel better. And he said that... um, you know, the, this one one of the issues that the people have, of course, is that they don't have a faith. And he was saying that uh, he has actually started reading the Bible through, and he's about twenty percent of the way through. And um, on the weekends, um, he sometimes spends several hours reading uh, the the Bible. Of course, he's got this plan to to read through the the Bible. And he's very positive. He says, you know, the way I look on life is, you know, I'm 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 very positive and has a has a faith and and um, we we got to one of the reasons we got talking about this was we were talking about creation and he was saying how he uh, has just recently watched a uh, YouTube uh, video on Genesis as history. And he was uh, finding it uh, very interesting. And I, I swapped a uh, story and said, well, I've just watched a, a very interesting uh, program on, um, uh, on the uh, internet as well, a new movie that has been um, released uh, on the evidence that, again, the theory of evolution just doesn't stand up to scientific uh, scrutiny, and it was called Dismantled. This uh, particular movie that I was talking to him about was called Dismantled, and the subheading is a, a scientific deconstruction of the theory of evolution. And I uh, was was quite impressed with this. I watched watched it with uh, several other uh, friends at the time, and they also found the. Um, the movie quite um, informative. So again, it's something um, any of the listeners that are interested. The the uh, movie, uh, I think it's going to be available as a DVD, is called Dismantled: A Scientific Deconstruction of the Theory of Evolution. And there's also a website uh, apparently, www.dismantledevolution or one word, dismantledevolution.com. And some of the presenters in this um, uh, DVD were, you know, quite highly highly uh, qualified. One of the uh, speakers was um, uh, Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, uh, spelled uh, J-E-A-N-S-O-N, and apparently he has written a new book called Replacing Darwin, The New Origin of Species. 
And it sounds very interesting because uh, this particular scientist earned his uh, PhD in uh, cell development and biology from Harvard University. One of the other presenters on the program was um, Dr. Georgia Pardom, and uh, she also is highly qualified with a PhD in molecular genetics at Ohio State University. And so they're they're presenting in this uh, movie that we've watched, as I said, dismantled a scientific deconstruction of the theory of evolution. And one of the main points that they they brought out was that we often think of science versus faith, right? And and uh, so you've got religion, and religion is in one box, and you know that's all about faith and and this sort of thing. And uh, science is about facts that's all in a separate box and they can't be connected. But what they're talking about is that when we're talking about what the Bible talks about, the Bible is a written account of the history of the world. And the early part was revealed by God to to Moses who, who wrote it down. And God revealed that to Moses And then as we go further along through the Bible, we have different authors write of their experiences with God, their answers to prayer, their experiences with angels, their uh, experiences with God talking to them, God giving them visions, God giving them prophecies and predicting and warnings and so forth uh, for the people. And, of course, other accounts are just accounts of, of history, a record of, of what happened, the, the particular kings, what they did, and, and so forth. And so it's written there as a history for us, and we, we know that as we read through the Bible, uh, particularly the prophecies, that these prophecies were fulfilled, particularly the ones that weren't, con- well, the ones that weren't conditional or the ones that aren't still future, like the second coming of Jesus. And as I was uh, talking to uh, this young man that I've known for many years, um, that, um, you know, I, I said, one of the things that I did when I started reading the Bible was as I came to some of these his, these prophecies in history, I, I looked them up. I went to the encyclopedias and, and looked them up and, and read about them. And... Um, so, you know, that was something just to, to check. And, of course, I found this, the, you know, the Bible was history. The Bible's history is, is real. It's a, it's a real account of uh, history. Now, when we look at science, and, and particularly science, when we look at the science that we have today that does the experiments that have led to, you know, our mobile phones, space travel, Cars, you know, advanced medical technology and machines, you know, CAT scanners and so forth. Um, we have, um, you know, this is everyday reproducible science. But when we're talking about the origins, the science of origins, which the theory of evolution is, so the theory of evolution was a theory that was put up by Darwin and developed by others along the, the way that attempted to explain how we came to be here. And essentially it was trying to explain how we came to be here without God being in the picture. In other words, it was a, a mechanical 
uh, view of how we came to be here. And we need to remember that Darwin lived in this time when the mechanical worldview was dominating education schools at that particular time. And we saw, as scientists had uh, read Newton's um, Principia of Mechanics, uh, and which he talked about and delineated the laws of mechanics, many of the laws of physics and so forth. And as physicists discovered these laws and found that they worked by logical mathematical relationships and using this they were able to, you know, build and develop machines. They were able to harness the, the power of thermal energy via steam engines and so forth. And so... We had this me- mechanical view of the world and of, of, of space as people, you know, applied the mathematical laws to the solar system and so forth. And this gave the theory of evolution, of course, gave you know, biologists a mechanical model to sort of, you know, bring them up similar to the, you know, physics and chemistry engine- and engineering type models that were being developed at the, the time in this mechanical worldview. And so it was a theory that was put forth. And some of the basis of this theory, of course, was that, again, we had some, you know, uh, philosophers and lawyers like Hutton who and Lyle, who had um, uh, Lyle had, had, had ascribed to uh, Hutton's ideas that the Earth was very old, was millions of years old, and this is, was their assumption that the Earth was much older than the Bible timeline. They weren't happy with that, but again, it was an assumption, right? An assumption that they made. They, they looked at some erosion rates and and this sort of thing, deposition rates of sediments in river mouths and this sort of thing. And they came to this conclusion. Now, when we have to apply this science in the past, we're trying to use science to understand history. And we know that there are lots of major problems with that. And one of the main reasons is that modern science depends on making observations that are then testable and falsifiable. In other words, we can do experiments to check whether those results are really true or not. And so that's why, you know, scientists put up a theory and then they test whether that theory can work. We try for some other, you know, situations. Well, how can we, you know, falsify the theory and prove that it's wrong? And... If we, we can't and all the results are confirming the original hypothesis, then, you know, it gets largely accepted as science. And, uh, and especially if we can reproduce it in the results in different laboratories around the world. And it's sort of like measuring um, the acceleration due to gravity. You can, you know, do that in your classroom sort of thing. And people have done around the world. We get the, the same essential answer for uh, measuring the um, uh, acceleration due to gravity at the surface of the Earth, sea level. So this is what science is about. And this is the type of science, as I said, that has led to the development of you know, the modern technology that we enjoy today. But when we're looking at historical areas, we, we've got to try and put the picture together from the observations that we have. And as this uh, movie pointed out, it 
How you then interpret the observations depends very much on your worldview. If you look at the Grand Canyon, and one of the examples they use is, is the Grand Canyon, and they say, and you believe that the Grand Canyon is, um, you know, 600 million years old, then you're going to attempt to explain all these formations in the Grand Canyon over a time period of 600 million years. If we believe in the Bible account, and remember the Bible account is written by Moses and, and um, who received this from God. And we have all this evidence down through history of people, many witnesses reporting experience with the angels, re- reporting prophecies which came true, which were fulfilled in detail. And we've got like the prophecies of Daniel at Span. You know, over a thousand years and were you know, fulfilled and hundreds of years to the birth of Christ and so forth um, and you know, were precisely fulfilled over long time periods and and we know from the day they were written, you know, when they were written sort of thing. Uh, people tried to ascribe them to later dates but with the discovery of early scrolls and all this sort of thing, we know they were written. Uh, now we have, you know, uh, very conclusive evidence they were working, uh, written much earlier, and particularly the ones who fulfilled way after the time of Christ. And so we have all this data, all this experience. We have all the books written by Christians of experiences of answers to prayer, you know, God talking to them, experiences of angels and so forth. So we've got this overwhelming evidence, empirical evidence, of experience, this experiential, you know, empirical evidence for the existence of God. And we have this account of the history of the world. And again, we have that that the Grand Canyon would have formed only thousands of years ago um, after the flood, or about the time of the flood, the global flood on Earth. And so we have this, when we're interpreting historical science, the same evidence, it's the same rock layers out there, but scientists are interpreting it different ways. Now, what they're saying in this pointing out in this movie is that when we have a look at the actual evidence that we can measure today and actually do measurements today, the biblical account fits the data most accurately. All right? And so a classic example is that, okay, if the um, Grand Canyon is you know 600 million years old, the bottom part of it and all these layers go up, you know, over span, you know, hundreds of millions of years, how come all the layers are flat and not showing signs of erosion? Well, not all the layers, but, you know, most of the layers you can see are there are laid down conformably over the top of one another without signs of erosion, yet they're supposed to be laid down over millions of years when you have massive erosion. I mean, you know, a couple of the um, 12 apostles have eroded away, you know, in the last, you know, 20 or 30 years on the coast of Australia. So we, you know, again, we've got this major inconsistency there. And this applies to a whole area of science. And when we look at the theory of evolution, the same thing applies. And this was one of the things that they point out. So the theory of evolution requires mutations to produce new genetic code, right? So we we start with some, you know, primordial organism that slowly evolved over time. It mutated, 
and the reproductive, you know, as it divided and, and reproduced itself, it mutated over time and somehow, you know, it formed into the different types of bacteria and yeasts and then into, you know, little worms and then into plants and, and so forth and all the different animals. And we know that the, uh, the way, you know, reproduction works, it involves the DNA code and has all these letters and this sort of thing. Now, today we can do measurements and we can actually measure the rate at which the code alters from one generation to the next. Because remember recently I've talked about, you know, when we have this cell division uh, occurring, and this can occur in the reproductive cells as well, in the gamut cells, when we have this uh, reproduction of the gamut cells and the DNA is in them, there can be copying errors. But generally there's this whole mechanism to prevent copying errors from, from happening and check before the DNA is, the code is confirmed in the dividing cell. And um, so what they've done is they've done measurements now and there's roughly about 100 uh, code letters different in each generation. So this is the small amount of mutations that are carried on. Now, when we consider that, you know, the code for, you know, something like a, um, you know, an ape, and a human where they say, well, chimpanzees, they, they claimed that there was only, you know, one, two, three or four percent difference in the code between humans and um, chimpanzees. In actual fact, they, when they did those measurements, they're only looking at bits of the code that they understood. When, they, when you take in the whole code, there's vast sections of the chimp code that are very different to the human code, so it's only about 80 5% the same. And when you think, you know, a lot of the structures are similar, of our blood biochemistry is similar, all this sort of thing. So no wonder the code's similar. But, and so it, it actually is much larger, you know, than they claim. But even if it was only a couple of percent or one, even 1%, what they're saying is that at the rate that we have a mutation, 100 code letters per uh, generation, and the fact that, you know, the, the code is... Um, you know, three billion or so letters in the code, then there's just not enough time in the evolution time scale to produce the mutations to, um, you know, allow for all these changes to occur. That, you know, the, you need, so they say that the change for about from humans to um uh, from, uh, you know, apes to humans or some chimpanzee-like creature to humans, you know, occurred over about a million years or so. But in actual fact, you'd need, you know, a, a billion years of that sort of time with the rate of which we measure these mutations occurring to produce enough mutations to make even just a tiny change like that. And when this is applied to the whole theory of evolution, what we find is there's just not enough time for evolution to have occurred and produced all these different mutations because, as we know, the rate at which mutations um, are form are relatively low that get through the, the checking system. And on top of that, remember, these mutations all have to be ones that end up working. Now, the other thing that was pointed out 
in the film was that when we look at these mutations, they generally produce disease or nothing. They, you know, they don't produce any significant new information. And this has been a major, major stumbling block for the theory of evolution. And so when we look at the the history, when we look at the the when we look at the science that is trying to put together the history, it all confirms the biblical account. Now, another interesting thing that they pointed out in this uh, film was that when we look at the genetic evidence, and we're getting some really good evidence, and as I said, the couple of people that spoke on this video, you know, they earned their doctorates from you know really good universities, you know, one from Harvard, one from Ohio State Uni, and so forth, right in this area of molecular genetics, and they also had John Stanford speaking, his PhD from Cornell. University of Cornell, again in the area of genetics, a, a world-leading genetic researcher. Um, and so as we understand a whole lot more about this genetics, one of the things that they talked about was the, the bottleneck effect. And they talked about how, for example, in Africa now, the population of cheetahs there is, um, um, is, is decreasing. And um, that... It's getting so low that if um, I think there's about a thousand cheetahs left or something like that, if I've, if I've remembered the figure right. And what they're saying is that the problem now is that they're inbreeding and they're producing deformities. They're not producing new, better cheetahs. They're producing the cheetahs with disease and deformities. And what they're saying is they're very close to possibly a bottleneck situation where the cheetahs could become extinct. Now, one of the fascinating things is, as they pointed out, that genetically the, the Y chromosome in males seems to have come originated from one single male and the same with the, um, with the X chromosome too from one particular uh, female in the, in the past. And, of course, that would have been... Um, yeah, we know the Adam and Eve story. So again, this is fitting this. But one of the other things is that they were pointing out that if you have um, particular bottlenecks where you have small levels of population, they reproduce the, between themselves. They reinforce particular traits and you lose other traits. Now, it's very interesting that the Bible talks about after the flood, there was the Tower of Babel, and the people who built the Tower of Babel. As a matter of fact, we were talking about this with um, this young man that uh, this young uh, this uh, fr- friend of mine that I've known him for a long time growing up, and uh, he's close, very close to our family. And um, you know, he's, it's very interesting reading about the Tower of Babel account and how around the world people. You know, Central America and uh, Egypt and all these sort of places have built these towers and these, uh, you know, pyramid-type uh, uh, buildings. Matter of fact, uh, I think on my computer just uh, this week, uh, one of the Mayan temples has come up as a background from from Microsoft. But um, 
the and you know pointed this out. But one of the interesting things that came out in this discussion in this film was that at the Tarot Babel it talked about how God confused the language. Everybody spoke one language, but God confused them and they broke up into different groups because God scrambled their language and they found that certain groups could understand one another and others couldn't. And so they moved away in all different directions. So you then start with a small then population group that then interbreed between themselves in that population group and they preserve then those characteristics and how this exactly fits the different race characteristics that we have in the world today. And so there were some fascinating things that came out of uh, this, that when we look again at the mutation rate, there's no way that the diversity of species on the rate at which mutations occur could have evolved in that time, in the time. Even in, even if the Earth was formed at the beginning of when they claim the universe was, you know, Big Bang happened, you know, 14 billion years ago or thereabouts. There just not is not enough time, let alone all the other issues that I've talked about in the past of, you know, how a meaningful code could form that matched the actual physical structure it was in and the code reader and all this sort of thing. So what the basis of this is, the bottom line is this, that when we look at the science that we can measure today and do the readings and the measurements today, it fits the biblical account. It fits the biblical timeline. Matter of fact, when we look at the biblical timeline and the population of the earth, it it fits an age of about 6,000 years, not, you know, um, 100,000 to 200,000 years of sort of human-type um, existence on the earth. And the other thing is if... If we had humans around that long, and we know, for example, the Nathanderals, they buried people and, you know, preserved graves and this sort of thing, we're all the graves of all the people that should have lived. They're, they're not there. What we observe fits the biblical account. And um, I think this is why we can have so much confidence. And the other thing is, this is very important for young people today because the Bible tells us that God is coming back. God is coming back. He's going to put an end to evil. The surface of this all, this world's going to be destroyed. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And those people who believe in God are going to be resurrected, or those who are alive, translated, to be with God. They'll see God do all this, make all the earth made new, and that is where we will live together with God. And there'll be no more death then, no more separation from loved ones. And this is a beautiful hope. Evolution gives no hope to young people, no hope at all. And if, you know, you happen to be born into, you know, a very well-to-do, well-off family, like this young man is, that, 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 you know, that's good. But even many of the young people that are born into these uh, well-to-do families too, where the family's well-off, they're turning to drugs too because what's the future? What's the, what is there to live for? And the Bible gives us this hope that there is a, a wonderful God. And, of course, this is the message that so much needs to get out to the young people. Evolution theory is wrong. We were created by God who loves us. We are special 
to him. And there's a future planned for us. And young people need to know that message and know that they can go to that God. And they'll find out about that God by reading the Bible like this young man is doing. Remember, if you'd like to re-listen to uh, this program, you can Google uh, 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au, and click on the Listen button. I'm Dr John Ashton. You've been listening to Faith and Science. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 